on Church 1132. I am excited to be in the house this morning. Who's excited? Come on. Ooh, I love this. You got some energy. Come on, 10 o'clock. I see you. I hear you. I love this. Who's expectant to encounter God? You know, I'm excited for what God's going to release. He gave me a word for the house, and he gave me, I believe, a due word for where you're about to step into. You know, the prophetic often comes in and, like, right ahead of before it happens, right? And it kind of sets, like, that that pathway, so to speak, for God's uh, work just to continue to uh, be worked out. And I just feel like this morning, it's almost like a preparation for what's about to get unleashed and what God's about to do in your midst. So if you're expectant like me, I just want you to raise your hands. And I just want to bless you on, I want to pray over you this morning. Jesus, I thank you in faith for the encounter that's about to take place in this room. Lord, I believe there's an invitation to go deeper in you for us personally. And I believe you're calling us to take this word and go outside these four walls. But God, will you first and foremost encounter us inside these four walls? Because we can't take out what we don't receive. So this morning, we receive what you have for us. We receive, Lord, the impartation and what we believe is the portion that you've uh, released over this house. Such a special house, such an anointed house. And I thank you, God, for just the calling on Church 1132. They have stood faithful in hard times. They have stayed true to the gospel in the midst of difficult times. Lord, I thank you that this they're about to go into a season of abundance, of blessing, and of breakthrough. And I pray that for every single person that's standing with their hands raised, and you see every need in this room, God, will you minister this morning? Because you know each one of them by name. You love them. You're for them. And Jesus, I thank you. Just fresh encounter, fresh revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Amazing. Who loves your pastors? Come on, right? Incredible. Incredible. Pastors Dustin and Jamie, you know, I inherited this friendship, and it has been such a blessing in my life. Uh, My husband has been connected to Dustin since he was in high school, and of course, he spoke at your guys' wedding, and he just loves you guys so much. So, you know, when I married Sean, there was already this established friendship, and then I was like, oh my gosh, can we be friends too? Because I love them. They are amazing. So every time I'm here in the house, I never feel like I'm a guest. You make me feel like family. You feel like my family, and that's why I feel like whenever I'm with you, it's just family time. Anyone else feel like? I I hope I don't feel like a guest. I hope I just feel like a sister or a mother or a friend. Whatever role you'll allow me to play in your life, I will gladly play it. Just make it a nice role. Is that cool? And then I brought two of my favorite people in the world. So we made this a girl's trip because why wouldn't you, right? And so I brought my stepdaughter, Brittany, and she's amazing. She she came with us and she works for Jesus Culture. She's over their music label. She lives in Sacramento a few hours from us. And just an honor, she's an amazing woman of God. And I know there's a lot of single men that are looking at her going, hey, girl. And yes, she's single, but I want you to know, I just want to lovingly remind you, you're going to have to go through Sean Smith to get through his daughter. So... I just want to say good luck, boys. Okay, so Britt, can you just wave? I won't make you stand. And then we have Natalia right next to her. She's our ministry administrator. She is literally our Bianca. Uh, she's amazing. It's such a gift in our life. We, we prayed her in uh, because we knew like she could be doing anything, but we're so humbled. She felt called to come and serve us. She literally is the person that keeps our world going. And so she's family to us, Sean, and I love her. She's an amazing worship leader. She's an intercessor. She's an awesome woman of God. So to have a girl's trip has just been super fun. Amen. 
Real quick commercial, hang with me. I just released my first book, okay? I'm super excited and I'm excited because I feel like it's a God project. I actually never intended in writing this a book, but I preached a sermon when I was pastor in LA. Predominantly single people were in the church and there was a lot of messes that were happening and a lot of challenges. And I just felt like the Lord says, help these people, give them a strategy on how to thrive in their singleness. And I, I really am passionate about sharing my story because I felt like the Lord's told me to write my story and that's what this is. This is my story. I got married at 39 years old, but I took a vow of a Nazarite vow at 19 years old that I would just wait on the Lord for him to write my story, that I wasn't going to take the pen out of his hand to write my own story, but I was going to wait on him. That doesn't mean I advocated uh, my authority, but it simply means I partnered and I surrendered the desire of marriage to him, and I made my goal Jesus, not marriage. And I allowed my single years to become the root system and my relationship with Jesus so that when God, in fact, did bring me marriage, although I had surrendered it, I still hoped for it, I still believed for it, but it wasn't a requirement for me to be all in for Jesus. And I just believe there are things in our life that are desires and dreams out of our heart, but we put them even before Jesus. But if we put Jesus first, he will give us the desires of our heart and we will actually be in a healthier place because we're able to steward the blessing when and he's our root system. So if you know some singles that need to have a kind of a redefinition of, of thriving in your singleness, because I believe your relationship status does not dictate your destiny, amen, that I believe God can use you in any state and he has a plan for you. So if you know some singles that need to be encouraged, I pray you pick this up today, amen? I got a word for you. You ready? So I was praying earlier this month because it was Rosh Hashanah. Who knows about Rosh Hashanah? So I, you know, I pastored for about 11 years before I shifted into full-time itinerant with my husband, Sean. And, you know, if I'm honest, I never super dialed into Rosh Hashanah. I, of course, was aware that it's the Jewish New Year. It's a, considered a holy holiday. I, I was aware of it, but I'd never taken the time to study or understand it. I won't take too much time, but I simply want to highlight that it recognizes, it, it represents, I should say, a new season. And I felt the Lord tell me in 2020 to begin to pay attention to Rosh Hashanah. So I I've just made a posture to begin to fast through Rosh Hashanah, seeking the Lord. If we're stepping into a new season, I want to hear what the Lord is saying for the next season, right? So as we were in Rosh Hashanah, September 6th through the 8th, um, I began to listen to the Lord, and I heard this over the nation of America. I heard this statement, and the statement was this, I'm removing the Saul's, and I'm raising up the David's. Now, some of you might wonder, what's a Saul? And I heard the Lord say, like Saul in the word of God, he began to consult mediums and he began to have a mixture and he began to have a, a mixture in his heart and he wasn't fully devoted to God. When we allow other voices, we allow compromise into our lives. James 3 talks about godly wisdom and demonic wisdom. Him consulting a medium, a psychic, if you will, is consulting demonic wisdom. He allowed a mixture and God's like, I'm not going to allow the person who's called king over my people to be one that has mixture in his heart because I want him to be a true representation of who I am. So I heard the Lord say that I'm removing the souls and I'm raising up the 
the uh, Davids of this moment. And I heard the Lord say that around the nation of America, there's going to be houses of David, each with a different emphasis. Because you have to understand that David had multiple facets to his anointing. But I heard over this house that you as Church 1132 were going to move an anointing of David's compassion. That you were going to have an anointing for the Mephibosheths. And the Lord took me to 2 Samuel 9, talking about the life of Mephibosheth, which we're going to break down and we're going to talk about what does that mean for you as a house. But I heard the Lord say, you're going to move in a radical compassion that has societal change. And I felt like the Lord says, you're anointed as a house of David to arise with a pure heart, one that is without mixture that brings the word of the Lord for a time where there's so much compromise. Even those that have been behind the pulpit, God says, I'm purifying my voice. I'm purifying the sound. I'm purifying the bride of Christ. And I felt like the Lord says, I am anointing those houses that have stayed faithful to the call, that have continued to preach an undiluted gospel. I'm raising up a house of David. I want you to know, Church 1132, you are a house of David. I heard the Lord say as I was fasting and praying for this assignment, I heard the Lord say that this is a house to be a table. And I'll, that, that will make more sense in a moment. But th this house was created to be a table of fellowship for people to come and to be transformed. I know that I said that you're going to uh, operate in the area of compassion, and I used the name Mephibosheth, and some of you are unfamiliar with that name. I want to give you a backdrop to who this young man is, that we're about to unpack his life story that I believe really is a blueprint for what God's about to do in our midst with all of us. If you go to 2 Samuel 4.4, it should be up on the screen, and we're going to begin to read about Mephibosheth and who this guy is. It says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him. Say dropped. And he became crippled. So you have to understand, here's this child where his grandfather is the king. This is King Saul. His father, Jonathan, is the next heir to the throne. This is a child of the royal family. But because he was now, uh, in a sense, orphaned by his father, he did not have that position anymore because now David is about to be anointed as king, and there is a shift in authority. And whenever there's a shift in authority, authority, a new precedence is established. The old is now gone and the new is now here. And so this was a moment of transition that forever changed Mephibosheth's life. Excuse me. I, I practiced that name for three days because I told the Lord, I, I'm so intimidated to preach about Mephibosheth. And the Lord goes, come on, Chris, can, can I not help you? And I was like, that's right. So for three days, I'm like Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. But in this moment, Mephibosheth's life dramatically shifted to one of luxury, to one of opportunity, to being a child that's able to run around the yard, climb the trees, fully able to have the full usage of his legs. And in one moment of hearing the tragic news, 
the nurse understands that his life could be on the line. I'll break that down in a moment as to why. But his life could be on the line. She understood the direness of this situation. She grabs this child to protect him. And instead of protecting him, she drops him. And in the dropping, he becomes crippled. In the dropping, what actually injured him never healed correctly. And so in not being healed correctly, he has two feet he can no longer use. So here's this child that was once the heir is now a crippled. And see, I believe God wants to minister to us this morning about God going after the crippled one. See, we love in America the strong one. We love the one of perseverance. Who's with me? Rudy fans, right? The movie Rudy. My personal favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Miracle, the hockey team that was like determined to beat the Russians. And it was like, you know, we love the Cinderella story. We love Remember the Titans. We love all those stories of the person that pushes through everything and they just refuse to give up. But what about the ones that don't even have a fight within them? What if the ones that are crippled and lame and can't walk and can't fight for themselves, who will fight for them? Who will make space for them? Who, who will go after the Mephibosheths? David will. Come on, house of David. David goes after the Mephibosheths. In 2 Samuel 9, we're going to read 1 through 10. I'm reading out of the New King James. And it says, now David said, is there still anyone who's left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. And so the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Makur, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. And then King David sinned and brought him out of the house of Makur, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here's your servant. So David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And then he bowed himself and he said, what is your servant? that you should look upon such a dead dog as I. And the king said to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always." This is such a rich text. I'm only going to pull out probably this much of this this morning. There's so much to unpack in this, but I want to just really teach this morning. But I want to prophesy to you what God's about to unleash in your house. And I use the word unleash because I feel like there's about to be an open portal of heaven over this house. And I don't say that lightly, but I feel the presence of God so much that I've had trouble not weeping the whole time I've been here. Because I feel the heart and the compassion of Jesus just oozing 
out wanting to minister and love on people because I believe this house is going to move in a supernatural aspect of the compassion and the love of God that's going to change generations. See, David was a man that honored covenant. Everything that we're reading about took place because David understood covenant. See, Jonathan understood covenant as well. Jonathan, who was the natural heir to the throne, remember this, he recognized that the prophet Samuel had anointed David and that actually he was not, even though in the natural he was the heir to the king, but he recognized that in fact he wasn't, that God had anointed David. So what did he do? He pledged himself in covenant to David to keep him safe, to protect him from his father who betrayed David. So Jonathan is in a very precarious place. He's in a place where he loves his father, but he's also in covenant with King David. Although his father is still king, he's recognizing God's anointed Jonathan actually helped keep David alive at times. Multiple times in scripture, you will read how Jonathan shared the strategy of Saul and Saul's army to kill David, and it actually allowed David to flee and not be killed. So David is alive because of Jonathan. And so here David is king, but many years have passed by. Mephibosheth is a grown man by this point. He has a child of his own. And I don't know why on this one day, but we just read in scripture, and then one day David asked, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I might be able to show the compassion? All of a sudden, David, in the midst of his reigning and ruling as king, is reminded of the covenant he made with Jonathan and he's reminded of the covenant that they they vowed to each other in 1 Samuel 20 you find it and it reads that day uh, excuse me Jonathan asked David he said if I die in battle will you take care of my family David agreed there was a covenant between these two so David is reminded of the covenant he made in 1 Samuel 20 now we're in 2 Samuel 9 fast forward David is ruling and reigning he's like where is is there anyone better yet he's asking the question and he's looking to be able to restore what's been lost because that's what covenant does covenant makes right what been done wrong. Covenant takes a person that has been forgotten and makes them remembered. Covenant actually restores everything the enemies tried to rob. Covenant enforces, right, the blessing and the inheritance of the Lord. So what did David do? He says, is there anyone I can show kindness to? What he is saying is, is there anyone I can uh, give the inheritance that's rightfully theirs? Is there anyone that's missing out on the blessing that's promise to them. That's what David is saying. Oh, come on, church 1132. I want you to know that's your blessing. I believe God's calling you to be covenant enforcers. You're looking at people's life. You're like, no, no, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you would be living a broken, disheveled, messed up, addicted life. He died on the cross so you would be living in full freedom. I'm going to enforce some covenant because I'm a David and I'm going after the Mephibosheths. I'm going after the ones that are crippled and lame. They have forgotten who they are. But where do we find Mephibosheth? Oh, we find him in Lodabar. But when you study the meaning of the name Lodabar, it means land of nothing. 
So here's this crippled man in the land of nothing. No pasture, no growth, no life, no word, no communication, no community. And he's fully reliant. He's living in the land where every day he's reminded of what's been lost. Because when you're living in exile, you remember what was. So he has this memory of what was, but he is very aware of what is. So when the king calls him and the king says, Mephibosheth wants to see you. So they're calling him to go to the king. When he gets that call, there's probably some mixed emotions. Because you have to understand in that day that if a new king was put into place, if he was sworn in, so to speak. Whoever was an allegiance, alliance, or the lineage of the previous king would be killed. Why? Because they wouldn't have had the allegiance or the alliance to the new king. They would be viewed as an enemy. So here's Mephibosheth getting word that the king wants him, and he's thinking, I'm of the wrong family. I'm not of the right bloodline. I have a despised name. My name is not respected. And the king wants to see me? This isn't good. So what does it say? It says Mephibosheth comes and he lays prostrate before David. And David says, Mephibosheth? And he's like, here I am, your servant. And what does David establish immediately? Do not fear. I want to show you kindness. David establishes immediately his intention, which changes everything. See, what I love about David is he did the unprecedented. He didn't do what the previous kings had done. Why? Because when you have been put in a position of authority, you actually have the right to change the course of history. When you've been put into a position of authority in the spirit, you actually don't have the obligation to repeat the way the generations before you did it. Did you know you have the freedom to set a whole new precedent because you've been given the authority to do it a whole new way? See, God isn't interested in doing a repetition. God wants to write a whole new story through you, Church 1132. He wants to do a whole new thing through you, House of David. He wants to actually set a new precedence of showing the compassion and the kindness to the Mephibosheths of society. The ones that walk through the doors of our church, the ones we run into when we're going to the grocery store to get our Starbucks. Doing life. Running into these people that might be feeling like they're living in exile, they're living in the land of the nothing. See, I believe one of the anointings on this house is the injuant, is, is, is the creativity, let me say it this way, the creativity to do things like they've never been done before. See, I believe as a house of David, David was saying, you know what, I'm not just gonna continue to do how the other kings did it because I'm a man of covenant. When I'm a man of covenant, I don't actually care if Saul dishonored me, I'm gonna honor because Jonathan un did what the father did so now I'm going to undo all that and I'm actually going to restore because if I set Mephibosheth free then I'm actually going to set his sons free because when you operate out of covenant you don't just impact one life you actually impact a bloodline and I want you to understand that God is actually interested in our legacy our generational inheritance see as a house I believe God is also saying, and I'm just pulling some just principles from this text that I believe God is just prophesying over you. I felt like the Lord says, you, Church 1132, are anointed to pick up what's been dropped. 
You know, there's, been a, there's a lot of people that have been dropped in our society. They've been dropped by their parents, their family, that authority figure that was supposed to raise them, protect them. They've been dropped maybe by the education system, by the broken systems that are supposed to provide support in our society, but they drop through the cracks. There's a lot of people that have been dropped, and in the dropping, that fall, that impact, the brunt of that drop has created a crippledness within them. And so many times we look at people like, why can't you just stand on your own two feet? But we don't understand the depth of their hit. We, we don't understand how far they fell. We, we don't know how hard they hit. But what I love is David comes, come on church, with a compassion saying, I want to restore all. I want to operate from a different mindset. I'm not going to operate, this isn't eye for eye. This is, I'm not going to treat you like Saul t- treated me. I'm going to treat you like your father. I'm going to treat you out of covenant. See, I believe there's so many people that are walking around with limps in their life because of the hits that have happened. But when they come and they encounter the Davids, all of a sudden they begin to see themselves a little bit different. I believe that David had an assignment, just like you do, to break shame off Mephibosheth's. See, I believe so many people are living with shame, and we know that Mephibosheth was dealing with shame because in verse 8, he called himself what? A dead dog. Anyone that calls himself a dead dog is not thinking too highly of themselves. They're not thinking they're really that special or they really matter. They actually want to be probably invisible. They actually don't want to be seen. They don't think they're worth the time of day. They might even be praying to God, but they certainly don't expect an answer because they don't feel like God's favorite. They don't feel like God has time for them. Oh, but then David comes in the picture. He's like, no, Mephibosheth, I see you. I'm pulling you out of exile. I'm pulling you out of the land of nothing. And I'm going to make something out of nothing. I want you to know as a church, you have an anointing to make something out of nothing. What looks like nothing, what looks so unimportant, I believe you had a divine assignment to go pull the nothings and make them something special. To break the shame that has crippled so many people. You know, so many times we think of someone being crippled or lame in the natural. And yes, of course, that can be true for some people. But in addition to that, I believe there's some emotional and mental shame blockers that cripple people, that make them lame, that limit their development, their ability to cope, their ability to stand. And some of those areas of shame are really kind of invisible a little bit hard sometimes to get your finger on it, but they're there, and they limit people of how they see themselves. Sometimes shame looks like that divorce you went through, the DUI, the addiction, the mental struggle, the house that never feels organized, the kids that are just a little too crazy, the life that always feels full of drama, the rebellious child, the STD, 
the unwanted pregnancy, the loss of employment, the bankruptcy, the weight gain, the medical diagnosis, the getting fired, the needing a job, the being homeless, not having anyone you can call, having no friends or feeling like you don't have a support system, or the car you drive, the house you live in, the family you were born into, needing help with groceries, needing help just to make ends meet. So many people have these labels of shame. And God is raising up Davids in this hour that will go to the highways and the byways, that will go to the dark places and say, I see you, Mephibosheth. You're not nothing. You're something. You're called with destiny. You're called with a purpose. I'm going to restore back to you everything that God intended for you to have. I'm going to give you back your land. I'm going to make sure you get your harvest. I'm going to make sure you get the rightful inheritance because I see you. You know, Rosh Hashanah stands for, I remember you. I just kept hearing that again, just resonated in my spirit. God saying over the Mephibosheths, I remember you. You're not forgotten. You can't hide. You can't just go to the highways and the byways and think I'm not going to pursue you. Oh, no, that's my kid. You were created with purpose. You were created with destiny. So many times I drive by homeless people and I start weeping and Sean knows why. Because I say every time, that's someone's kid. Every time, I just get wrecked because that's someone's child. I imagine the parent in the hospital holding that child, never thinking that child would end up addicted on the streets, sometimes out of their mind. But yet that's someone's child. Like I just feel like God's like, can we go? Can we get compassion again? I know in our society when there's so much stuff going on and the times have been difficult, there's a thing called compassion fatigue. It's real. But when we draw on the compassion of the Lord, we're able to share compassion that isn't reliant on our emotions. Oh, friends, it's so much deeper than our emotions. It's reliant on the heart of Jesus. For people that don't know who they are, they're so riddled with shame. They're living in the wrong place. They're the right person, but they're living in the wrong place because they're called to be something. I believe as a house, you're anointed to remove blinders of shame off people, to bring redemption. When I looked up, what does Mephibosheth's name mean? God is so prophetic, isn't he? When you study the meaning of names, do you know that Mephibosheth's name means mouth of shame? Second definition was exterminator of shame. And my personal favorite from Holman Bible Dictionary, destroyer of shame. Mephibosheth was covered in shame. And it was exactly the thing the Lord had anointed him to destroy. If you've been wondering why you have been hit the way you have been hit, if you have been wondering why does that keep coming at me, maybe it's the exact thing you're called to walk in authority. Maybe it is exactly the area you are called to walk in a place of breakthrough and bring freedom to people's lives because the enemy went so hard after Mephibosheth and riddled him being crippled, wrong family, wrong bloodline, lost everything, living in the land of nothing, shame, shame, shame. And God's like, I've called you Mephibosheth do you know what your name means you're called to be a destroyer of shame you're called to walk in freedom you're called to tear off every lid every blinder and remind people of their destiny 
I don't know about you, but I love the kindness of Jesus. Do you know that two times in that portion of scripture that we read in 2 Samuel 9, that David established where Mephibosheth would be eating at his table. Not the servant's table, not the help's table, his table. The king's table. Now, why is that significant? Because it represented multiple things. Two things it represented was honor and protection. It represented, I honor you where you've been dishonored, and now you're protected where you've been unprotected. Where you have felt vulnerable and exposed in your shame, you come to the table of the king and you're protected and you're restored. When I begin to think about who would be at David's table, you know, it was not a group of perfect people. First and foremost, David would be there. A very imperfect man, but a man after God's heart, which I find incredibly encouraging because in all my imperfections, if David's welcome at the table, that means we're welcome at the table. But then I thought about Absalom would be there, David's son, who ultimately betrayed him, but was still invited to the table. Tamar, his daughter, who was raped by another son. That little dirty family secret they didn't want anyone to know, still welcome to the table. And then imagine David's mighty men, the 30 and then the fierce three. The fiercest warriors of the land. I just imagine probably hadn't showered a while, a little stinky. Weapons, carrying weapons. They'd come off, take all their weapons, unshaven. They sit down, they're burly, they're ready to eat. And they're welcome at the table. So what does that mean? It means there's a seat for you at the table too. See, I believe we don't have to be perfect or have it all together to come to the table of the Lord. God welcomes the crippled, the lame, the broken, the ones that think they're forgotten, but God says, I remember you. And he says, come to the table of fellowship because it's at the table of fellowship that transformation takes place. What I love about David is he knew he just had to get Mephibosheth to his table. He understood he's got to come to my table because he wanted him to understand his value. And by being at the table, Mephibosheth was forced to see himself in a different light. He was forced to see himself as the king sees him. See, David understood that healing doesn't happen in isolation. Healing happens in fellowship, community, and relationship. See, healing had to happen at the table. And I believe there's an invitation over Church 1132 to be a table to the city of Dallas and beyond. To create a feast for those Mephibosheths, for the lost, the broken, the crippled, the hurting, that feel not good enough. They have labels of shame all over them that society has told them and reinforced for years. And you have the privilege to bring the beautiful love and compassion of Jesus and saying that's not who you are. Mephibosheth, you thought 
You were wrong to the, born to the wrong family. You thought you've messed up. You thought you were just created to live in the land of nothing. But I want you to know that I knew your father. So I know who you are. You're mighty. You're powerful. You're a warrior. I'm not worried about your legs. I'm going after your heart right now, Mephibosheth. I'm going after your mentality. I'm going after who you're called to be. We're going to work on all that, but I just want you to know you have a space at the table. I saved you a seat. It's been here all these years, but you've been living in exile. You've been living in a land of nothing, but I've always had a seat for you. Some of us have forgotten you have a seat at the table. There's a seat to come fellowship with Jesus. Life get too overwhelming? Oh, come sit at the table. You don't feel like you have control over the situation? Oh, just come sit at the table. That child who you've been praying for just went into deeper rebellion? You just come to the table. The doctors just gave you a diagnosis? where you need a miracle, oh, just come to the table. Because when you come to the table, all of a sudden you begin to see God for the first time. You know, as we were reading in Scripture, when Mephibosheth presented himself to David, David said, Mephibosheth? And it has a question mark. Well, I began to kind of research that. I found that interesting. Some scholars and theologians propose something to consider at least that because David knew Jonathan and Saul so intimately this was like family he knew their face like he knew what they looked like like you know there's a look in a family you can be like oh that's a smith (laughs) she's like a little Sean right you can look my maiden name is Pitcairn Scottish and you can look at my family line and go oh that's a Pitcairn Right? We can all look. That's a Bates. I didn't even know that was Dustin's sister, and I was like, that's a bait. Right? Like, there's a look in a family line, correct? Scholars and theologians propose that when Mephibosheth came, he was so disheveled, he was so almost like disfigured in the sense of he'd been living in the land of nothing for so long. He was unrecognizable. That when he became, he presented himself to David, David knew the family so well that he was like, that looks nothing like Jonathan. That looks nothing like Saul. He's unrecognized. He doesn't look like them. And all the more he's like, Mephibosheth? Oh no, come to the table. I want to reintroduce you to God. I want to reintroduce you to who you are and who you're called to be because you've lost, you're, you're not recognizable. I believe an anointing on this house is to help people begin to recognize God and then themselves. Because so many people have had trauma, shame, crippled, lame, broken parts of their life, and they have become disfigured. And they don't even see themselves anymore. But Church 1132, you are anointed to share the compassion of the Lord with the intention of societal reformation. I'm believing for revival, but revival must have reformation. Because I believe in societal impact. If we only keep it inside the four walls, it's amazing for the believers. But what a loss if we don't invite more people 
to the table. So as I was praying over you, I heard the Lord say this morning, was inviting you as a house, as a child of God, to come to the table of the Lord because he has a seat for you. But then I heard the Lord say, but can you ask them to bring a chair with them? Because sometimes when we come to the table, we forget to make space for other people because we're so excited to be there. But God says, as you all bring a chair to the table, I heard the Lord say, I'm increasing the impact and the influence of your voice, of your ministry, and even your anointing because it's built on the love and the compassion of Jesus. I heard the Lord say, the more people you invite to come to the table, the greater the transformation will be. There will be people that you bring to the table that will be transformed right before your eyes. And I heard the Lord say, can you go to the table, bring a chair, and then can you go invite that neighbor that needs to come to the table? Can you go to that family member that's been living in exile and invite them to the table? Can you go to that coworker, that barista that knows your order by heart, but they actually don't know what's in your heart? And can you invite them to the table? Can we just stop passing people by in life? They happen to be in our daily path, and yet we don't ever take the time to say, did you know there's a seat for you at the table? I, I, I brought the chair myself. I put your name on it. No one's going to get it. Can you come to the table? The place of fellowship. See, I believe there's an intimacy that's about to be unleashed in this church. Intimacy of encounter, an encounter of the transformation of compassion. In a world that's so harsh, how beautiful is it of Jesus to release a church to release a movement of compassion to a world where they're just like can someone just be kind to me today and you're like oh no we're not even just talking the kindness of God I'm talking the redemption of God come receive all 